0: Welcome to ConsciousFounders.org. Today we interviewed Robin Arnott, the founder and designer of SoundSelf Game. Uh, You can learn more about his product at SoundSelfGame.com. Robin is quite an entrepreneur, uh, a consciousness explorer, and a sound design uh, imagineer, I'll call him. Uh, Robin began building SoundSelf uh, six years ago while still working as a sound designer and a year and a half later he dedicated full time to creation of this baby. I really enjoyed our conversation and I learned a whole lot. If our society had a digital shaman who distributes experiential wisdom through computers and programs, I think Robin would be it. He is an articulate, experienced explorer of consciousness his fascination with consciousness exploration tools has clearly benefited his life and expression of self through his art. Robin is a self-divined sound designer and I learned that's not a musician and it's not really a composer, it's rather a creator of um, soundscapes, sound systems, systems that interact with their consumers uh, and environment such as in video games. <clears throat> now Robin's desire to create sound self was initially motivated because of his first oneness experience at Burning Man while on psychedelics. The, this pivotal uh, moment for him happened when he looked at his unique set of skills, background and thought, hey, I think I can generate similar states of oneness. I think I can do this with computer game technology and the conceptual framework there. Um, So our conversation spanned so many intellectually and personally fascinating topics. I intend to explore further in future episodes. Uh, Here are a few questions that uh, came up and uh, I hope you enjoy the the entire episode. To frame it up, uh, here are some fun ones. Uh, How can we apply frameworks of gamification to consciousness healing? And what motivates a pioneering entrepreneur in this space to build and to create? How could this technology be applied to a healing place, to healthcare? And what, if any, are the moral questions surrounding intentional altering of states of consciousness in a programmatic way? How would someone get a person to use and interact with their software creation. I mean Robin is an entrepreneur uh, who has launched this and is making money from it so I think other entrepreneurs could could learn from that and uh, what what might be the future of healing uh, from a computer-aided or uh, drug-induced or uh, psychotherapeutic what what are the different combinations of healings that we can explore and how does that impact the efficiency and the individual efficacy of healing um, as we merge these ancient technologies like meditation and acupuncture and herbs with newer technologies like virtual reality, um, virtual communities, programmatic computerized prescriptions and this thing the internet does called uh, mass distribution. So, those are some fascinating questions I would like to to explore further. Um, There are many others, and I will uh, save those for your own enjoyment in the episode. We hope you enjoy, and as always, check back in uh, every week for a new episode of ConsciousFounders.org. Quickly, just tell me about how did you find yourself um, coming to coming to vr and specifically your interest in audio um as a as a means for getting someone into a trance state and uh yeah a little background on on just who you are where you came from and what you're you're planning to do with sound self
1: yeah well my background is in video games uh i was a sound designer for video games i was um I'm doing a pretty good job of it. I did the sound design for a game called Anti-Chamber. Um, I did the sound design for The Stanley Parable. <clears throat> and I was um, pretty firmly rooted in the independent game development community as a sound designer in that space. Um, and I didn't really have ambitions of being a game designer. I had interest in game design in systems design because I was because it's interesting and it's fun and because I uh, it, it was fun to explore and my my curiosities as a sound designer um, the way I most expressed that in my work or the way I was most eager to learn was was creating sound systems not just you know linear soundscapes and so on but like what are the what are the different systems that produce different sounds that, that was really interesting to me. Um, but I didn't. I didn't really have ambitions of being a, a game designer, and um, that um, sort of changed for me. I mean, it wasn't until I'd been working on Soundsoft for a year and a half that I realized that, like, oh, you know, the sound design thing isn't really important to me anymore. And actually, this thing that I've been working on for a year and a half is is what I'm doing and is what really matters to me. It's, it's But I had my identity kind of wrapped up in being a sound designer It took a while to untangle that Even when it was just de facto not true But I um, Had an experience at Burning Man I think it was 2013 Maybe I had my first oneness experience And Um me how life works and how like single conversations can just put you on a track um, I was some months after that I was um, meeting a composer friend of mine in New York to see if he'd be interested in uh, collaborating with me as a musician not on any particular project but, but I was thinking that as a sound designer I, I loved his work I really loved his music and I I, I liked the idea of bringing um, quirky musicians into uh, the game design space, into the interactive music for game design space. I loved the idea of, <clears throat> you know, just just having different musicians that who I was work I knew and I admired. Because often when I was working on a game, one of my first jobs would be to to figure out the right musicians for a project. Um, if the project didn't already have a composer on board. Um, so I met up with him with the idea of just being like, hey, are you interested in game design? And the first question he asked me is like, what are we working on? What are we doing? What are we making? Um, and that conversation just got me thinking, well, shoot, yeah, we could make something together. Um, and, and the design of SoundSelf occurred to me sort of prompted by that conversation. Uh, and I presented it to him. as a "Like, hey, here's something that we could do together. And he wasn't interested because uh, I think he not incorrectly saw the the crudeness of uh, uh, creating art directly in the sort of spirituality and awakening domain you know I I think that often can be pretty crude Um, so
0: so when you when you were um, like uh, when you were spitballing with him and you're like hey uh, I think the yeah I don't really know what we could do together but this sounds cool Um, and he's like "Uh, maybe something a little more commercial and what was no, your? No, it like...
1: wasn't so much more commercial. It was more that um, I, I think. So I mean, here's the thing. I think most art that is made ab- about spirituality it makes the crucial mistake of, of being about spirituality. Mm-hmm. Um, it, 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 which, which I think just makes for you know uh, crummy narratives. Um, and or they can be kind of preachy or something like that. And mm-hmm. what I wanted to do was actually facilitate a spiritual experience for people um
0: so removing some of the the dogma associated with spirituality it's not i mean
1: that's you you could you could say that uh, like that could be an effect but not not really you know uh i just i just had my profound experience and i i recognized
0: what was the when you when you said to him when you're like hey here's the idea how how did you describe it to him
1: I sketched it out to him. Um, I described my oneness experience and I described the thing I wanted to make, um, which at the time was, um, maybe it was this voice driven thing. I had an intuition that I could use voice to, um, that, that sense of I that is in the voice to facilitate the same kind of experience I had. Um, I don't remember, I don't remember the exact conversation. Um, but I do remember he was he was just not interested in you know, <laughs> um, i and and i and i have a lot of i have a lot of uh, uh understanding for that because because i i think i similarly hold in disdain most art that is made in the in the spiritual domain um uh, just because it it tends to be pretty um, bad, <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> or or preachy, or um or it's it's the aboutness. I think mm-hmm. it's the aboutness. People get lost in the aboutness, and mm-hmm. the aboutness is
0: mm-hmm. there's no yeah.
1: You know, aboutness is the domain of narrative and mind.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, definitely. People would like to bucket um and and classify uh, an experience so that they can recall it later and and attach it to a framework of understanding um what what would you say is is your vision for sound self i've watched some of your um your Facebook updates and your your vlogging which is great i mean i I write there with you on a lot of it um so, what would you say for your system, what's what's your roadmap like? What do you, how do you see? You know, so a year and a half ago, you had the idea, you built it, and are you now? Six years ago. Oh, six years <laughs> ago. I'm sorry. Yeah, six years ago. Um, yeah. so how long have you been? You're full time on it. Are you still doing game design, <laughs> sound design for other games, or? No,
1: no, I stopped doing that years ago. Hmm.
0: How long have you been full time on self
1: Pretty much the entire six years. Um, I think I started being full time on it maybe four and a half years ago.
0: And how has your um, user adoption been? Well, I mean, four years ago, VR was all really new. Um, at uh-huh. least the hard- hardware was pretty rough and it's coming around for sure. But what, what was your user adoption like and how did you go about getting, uh, getting users to come try out your, your tools?
1: Well, we're still in
0: beta. Um,
1: and and we're not, like, I. my context is I come from a, a game design background. I come from a... And games are a particular kind of commodity, a particular kind of software commodity. And I do, in many ways, still see this as a game. Um, not, not in the same way that, like, Duke Nukem is a game. But I do think that that kind of... Um, avenue of how you arrive at an experience um, has a lot to offer what the experience is and and I've, I've I think i think partly from working in games and so long and that's just how I think about things but also like I think there's something really um, powerful about novelty um, so I approach this as a as a video game and the thing with video games um, is that there's this sort of commodification of attention and there's a very you know great big like if you look at the other kind of avenues of software uh, packaging that we could have done um, treating it like a therapy or a meditation tool um, and those are avenues that we're still exploring but it is the te- treating it like a novelty like a video game that has been, I think, most appealing to me um, because um, what I'm creating here is um, a pretty intense and wild experience, and people can and do use it as a meditation tool or as a, as a part of their sort of spiritual exploration process um, or even as a, as a healing tool. But I think that that avenue of like being curious about something, not because it has any promise of healing you, or not because it has any promise of bringing you to enlightenment, not because it has any promise of 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 helping you with your meditation practice or something. I think the the way I think engaging with something just because it's interesting and cool and fun really opens people up in a way. Um, and so I've always thought of this as, as a video game. And as such, um, it's, we've, we've done a pretty closed beta because it's not ready yet. You know, I don't want to start really sharing with people until, uh, until it's done. Um, because, um, in order to get that wide adoption in order to get a lot of people interested in it as a novelty um, I think there's something really to be said for having it be finished having it be really just done and beautiful and then releasing it and having sort of a a fanfare of it when it's released but we're not at that point yet right now we're in our slow beta there's also technical reasons to that you know in Soundsoft because it's a fully immersive experience any little glitch totally interferes with with your experience in it you know if you're fully submerged in this really deep um meditative experience and there's a frame drop or there's a there's a uh a loud sound or something like that that's not supposed to happen it pulls you right out of it and so it's not i think appropriate for a software like this to be um very available um until it's done and that's been that's been our approach
0: that's awesome so it sounds like you you looked at um at applying this to like therapeutic um traditional therapeutic realms of meditation or healthcare and because of your possibly because of your gaming background but also Sounds like because of your your belief about play and curiosity and that actually as um, a really basis for enjoyment of life and therefore health. Um, if I'm gonna kind of make the bridge to healthcare, um, what I've from my experience in studying neuroplasticity and that's a fascination of mine. Um, there are a few ways that really increase neuroplasticity one is play uh, curiosity Mm -hmm. and then the other is falling in love and if you can get any kind of addictive qualities or addiction is often used in in negative uh, terms but it can be positive too especially when when forming habits Um, so that's amazing from my perspective it's really really fascinating to hear you kind of affirm that hey you know yeah we could turn this into something that's Forced with intention, but um, it sounds like you're you're trying to get the product to a place where you feel it's going to be a really amazing um, user experience, so that when people do drop into that um, state of consciousness, that they can uh, truly um, truly enjoy themselves.
1: Yeah, and and that they can do so without the um, sort of cold and um, a serious context of of being in a spiritual practice or being in a a process of healing, that they can approach it from a context of of fun. Um,
0: what uh, what kind of speaking of addictive, what kind of um, habit forming or addictive qualities would you say your experience has? Um, this has been a consideration for design for me.
1: Um I think uh one of my one of my greatest inspirations is a book called The Way of Trance by Dennis Weir. Uh and that's been very instructive for helping me create a trance experience that uh sort of hooks a person's consciousness and creates structures out of their consciousness. Um and it's something that game design mirrors the history of game design is very good at. is creating structures of consciousness with, with systems and creating trance systems. Um, and in the lineage of game design, there is this sort of... Here's the thing. like Addictions come from trances that don't really complete themselves. It's like a story that you've heard every piece of except the last scene. And that curiosity about what that last scene is keeps your mind occupied keeps you occupied keeps you hooked in and i actually think that's um kind of unkind (laughs) um so i haven't i i haven't heard of people being addicted to sound self and i hope not to i have heard of people using it repeatedly and in their practices but um there's one thing i do in the design of the game that I I think actually really uh, actively prevents addiction. Um, That is, so the way it works when you're playing sound if you're humming or toning and you um, fall into the experience and you sort of lose yourself in the experience. And, Uh, people report not really hearing their own voices anymore, even though their voices are what's driving it, not really being aware of their own voice anymore because they're just in it. Um, And what SoundSelf does at the end of a session is it just fades to white, and all the sound fades out, and so the user is left hearing their voice again Um, because you've been toning this whole time, and as the sound fades out, suddenly you're hearing your voice again, and that brings you straight back to your body. Uh, that brings you straight back to your your reality, your normal reality of being a person wearing a virtual reality headset or something like that and a headphone. Um, so the game sort of fades out in a way that re the person playing the game. Mm-hmm. And I do that to, to terminate the trance. So you have this trance experience, you fall into it, but then you come out of it gently. Um I think that that gentle and enforced exit helps prevent addiction. It helps prevent um the experience hooking you onto too much. I mean, this was this is an experience that was designed based on, that was chiefly inspired by um psychedelics. Um and the psychedelics do this you know, do this very naturally and effectively, they drop you into a space and that space can be powerful and completely different from our sort of normal mentality but then they don't just stop they sort of fade out and that fade out period is when you're doing the integration and when you're coming back into your body um so this does this, this is follows i think a similar path
0: wow i thank you i have so many questions generated from that information um yeah it sounds like a uh, one one quote that you that i might soundbite you for is addiction comes from trances that don't complete themselves and you're looking for that last scene i really like that um that yeah line. yeah um and as you're um moving forward into expanding your your interfaces um, well first of all i think you mentioned it's like 5meo is that right um it's often compared to 5meo yeah cool um so two questions that came out of out of that um, one is what do you see the the future of not just your system but other systems um as these systems grow consciousness hacking systems uh, interweaving with the use of uh, of drugs of psychedelics or other drugs um and how do you think that that might impact positively negatively neutrally the the future landscape of consciousness technology. And, uh, yeah, what do you think about about that?
1: I think one of the things I'm seeing, um, or pattern I'm seeing emerging is um, as we have all these different lineages of technologies coming together, I'm thinking about meditation lineages, but also technologies, I mean, contemporary technologies, technologies in the contemporary sense, Um, I'm working with a guy who makes vibroacoustic beds, for example. There's so many different modalities for healing and contemplation. Um, And I think a lot of the interesting work of our generation is um, uh, engineering interesting combinations of these things and engineering effective combinations of these things. Um, A great example from my personal life, I. was doing therapy for years. I was going to therapy for years. It never quite worked for me until I found Hakomi, which is a kind of embodied therapy practice. And my uh, Hakomi guy, I don't know what the word for that would be, hakomi uh, he's also an acupuncturist. And so in our sessions, we'll do Hakomi, which sort of drops me into the embodied experience of my, my world. And then once we find something that we want to explore and shift a little bit, he will put a couple of needles in, we can be like, what's this like now? You know, what's different now? And so these two modalities are combined to produce something that is is um, greater than either one of them individually. Um, or more attuned to the individual that they're trying to meet. Um, so um, what happens when you combine uh, psychedelics with uh, I don't know gongs? What happens when you combine gongs with um, Hakomi? What happens when you you know there there's a lot of really interesting questions here. And I think the I think that by combining these things we find um, really beautiful um, really beautiful things occur. I think really beautiful things that are more uniquely suited to uh, the individuals looking for healing through this thing um, and there's a lot of creative work to be to be explored in in these combinations um, so when you ask how did how do psychedelics fit into this i think i mean psychedelics are sort of um, i i believe one of the um, most um powerful uh, awakening tools that we have um and powerful you know it, it, it it's a hammer it's not a it's not a uh, uh it's not a knife um and th- th- these can you know powerfully shake you into an awareness of your true being and they can also powerfully um <laughs> lock you into some dark states um if you're if you're not ready for it right and so then what happens when you combine, uh, psychedelics with, um, uh, with, with therapy, with talk therapy or with, with a, a setting that is, um, you know, you can kind of see how these combinations, um, help you. You can use one practice to kind of, um, meet a person where the other practice has its harsher edges. Um, and and if you can say one thing that's true about psychedelics is is they definitely have their harsher edges. They definitely have their harsher edges, and they're definitely they can be uh, a less safe tool um, compared to meditation, for example. Um, uh, yeah, yeah, so you, I think I think I think just finding interesting combinations.
0: Go that's a really nice perspective. Um, I like how you abstracted. Hey. Well, let's... Yeah, okay, that's one specific example, psychedelics and others, the use of any combination of therapy um, to see what happens. Um, And I like that. I I do agree with you that it is our generations, um, really our our blessing to to be able to explore so much of the world's knowledge, um, especially ancient traditions and um, the use of... Um, traditional medicines um, sometimes in the form of psychedelics um, and um, (laughs) all this crazy emerging technology Um, I personally Mm -hmm. study um, Chinese medicine and I have found Qigong and Neigong specifically to be super impactful for my well-being Um, and so integrating things like psychedelics for example also uh, periodically can be incredibly incredibly um pivoting in a, in a positive way for me um, yeah yeah so agree agree um i i'm curious you know it's sort of it's a moral question um maybe i can explain to you my understanding my current understanding yeah. of how the subconscious mind works um and of course, I think we all exist in, in relative states of ignorance, and my current state of ignorance tells me um, that our, our subconscious mind is stored in our physical body for the most part. Um, and when I say subconscious mind, that's really a Western term for um, the kind of everyday operating system that we're running, the programs that we're running, um, less the operating system, but all the programs that are installed on them on the human machine, um, for interfacing with our environment. So we get a stimulus, we have a response, whether that's an emotion, um, that triggers, uh, physical action or emotion that triggers a thought and physical action. So, um, and a lot of those thoughts and emotions are, um, kind of, um, deeply embedded into the, into the subconscious mind. And that's what creates our personalities, um, and if you back it up, if you repeat something long enough, or one repeats something long enough, um, that's novel, then it can become a habit, and then if you repeat that habit long enough, then it can become a personality trait. So, and that all lives in um, the tissues of the body and the energy body, uh, which exists off of our body, um, which of course ties into our our mental. Body and constructive self, so when I when I look at okay, let's say I'd like to increase my consciousness. Um, I've found a bunch of tools that seem to work for me. Um, one, the primary one, is meditation, um, including meditation with binaural beats, uh, which is very helpful for brainwave entrainment. And then beyond that, um, I've studied a bit of hypnosis and self hypnosis. Uh, which I find really fascinating how the brain um, works in symbols and metaphors, and um, those are sort of like um, access layers to some of the programming. Um, And then uh, movement to actually move the physical body, um, which kind of generates and opens up, if you will, takes the lid off the program and allows some access to more energy and more amplitude to, to rewrite um, some of the, the programs, um, if we're open to it. So, um, so I'm curious what your what your 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 future vision is for how this can be uh, used. I know your focus is on gaming, but it seems like some of these um, tools that are coming on board, not necessarily yours, but can be used for reprogramming the subconscious mind. Um, and potentially that could be a great thing for healing and potentially it could be a dangerous thing if if there's kind of a mass adoption of trance like states that enable um programming, which advertisers uh, certainly capitalize on today. Um you know, they know some of the, the ways to program. Um so mm-hmm. yeah, just just curious what you think of like I'll paint a picture of Let's say 100 million people on a VR system, uh, one primary controller. That controller decides to embed messages of you know world dominance and malevolence <laughs> into their their program one day, and then you have um, a, a population that decides to be um, to run those programs. So. I, I, and that's, you know, kind of extreme. Another extreme is, hey, you've got a bunch of people who are really suffering deeply and they don't know how to change that program and um, um, uh, a system comes along which enables them to reprogram their subconscious and live happier, healthier lives and contribute to their society and feel valued and loved and all the, the emotions that I consider positive. So... Mm-hmm what do you think like a kind of a moral dilemma almost like the atomic do I develop atomic energy (laughs) because it can be used for you know a bomb or it can be used for amazing other advances in technology
1: the um, atomic uh, comparison is a a meaty one um think it was um, I think it was Oppenheimer who um, one of the reasons he and he was Oppenheimer was a pacifist but uh, one of the reasons he and his team persisted with the development of the atomic weapon was because um, I read this beautiful quote somewhere I don't remember exactly what it was but it was something like you know this um, it's physics. This is just truth. This is just how the universe works. This knowledge is out there and we found it. And if we found it, it wasn't like a a huge leap in understanding that led to atomic weapons um, like it was with relativity. Um, So there was this certainty um, that Oppenheimer and his team felt that if they could find it, then certainly the Nazis would too. Um, and so if, if the future is a nuclear future, um, isn't it wiser to, to develop the nuclear bomb, um, so that the, um, uh, so that the allies have it before, before the Nazis do. Um, I think it's, I, I don't actually see a, a moral quandary. In, in developing these sorts of techniques and technologies for altering consciousness um, because um, because sort of serves a similar reason, you know, it's out there it's real, it is um, These the ability to do this, the ability to uh, play with and warp and change human experience exists, is real um, and the knowledge of how to do it is, is, or the particular practices of how to do it are really what me and other technologists like me are exploring. Um, and you can, you know, you can bet that the whatever industrious um, sort of cyclones of, of greed are are also working and developing these things. You know, like the. Um, United States military was experimenting with LLC and was experimenting with hypnosis. and um, and advertisers, you mentioned advertisers. advertisers are always a step ahead of the game in in how their advertisements and their messaging and their jingles um, hypnotize people um, and I think give people less freedom. Um, so th- there's this myth, and i think I think this is a myth, and I think it's it's a similar myth to the like the, the 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 atomic moral quandary of whether to develop atomic weapons is um, is a moral quandary when you believe you're inventing something. Um, it's not a moral quandary when you believe, as as I do, that or when the attitude you carry, which is the attitude I carry, is not that you are inventing something, but that you are exploring and discovering the universe that you are exploring, that you're exploring territory that already is, that is, um, I think there, there's a kind of, I mean, this is, you see this through the science, sciences, through the history of sciences, you know, um, an idea gets published in one part of the world and, um, and then you find like research on that idea was, was happening on the other side of the world at the same time. Like this happened with the calculus This happened with, uh, Evolution, um, with um, Wallace and uh, um, Gosh, I'm forgetting the name of the father of evolution right now. Darwin. Yeah. uh Wallace and Darwin both independently um, sort of discovering the idea of natural selection. You know, neither of them invented it; they discovered it. Um, the good thing about that process, though, is I think that the more we know the more powerful we are, yes, the more capable we are of mistreating each other. But I think also the more we know and the more powerful we are, the more, um, the larger our consciousness is, the more complexity we can hold. And in holding higher complexity, I think we err more and more towards a, a deeper and fuller compassionate embrace of, of life. Um, I think we also see this through the development of, of technology and, and human society over the last few thousand years. You know, Like people can complain, complain as much as you like about the way things are. And It's not wrong to complain, um, and it's not wrong to, to, you know, protest and it's not wrong to, to look at what at the illnesses and say this is ill. But um, uh, the humans are kinder to each other, on, on, on average, now, uh, than they were, 20 years ago, and 20 years ago, they were kinder, to each other on average, than they were, 30 years before that, and 30 years before that, they were kinder, to each other on average, than they were, 300 years, or 500 years before, you know, the more we learn, the universe is, is love, the universe is, you know, if the, the universe is love, the universe is, is, is I am, the universe is this, the universe is, the more full our understanding of that love is, the more uh, loving our actions are. And so I don't worry about, I don't worry about the the long-term effects of our discoveries. Um, Like, yes, our discoveries make it, uh, make uh, abuses possible. Um, but I think the overall effect is averaged out over generations is, is one of expansion of consciousness.
0: Um, I agree with you, um, entirely, um, on that and, and how my, from my own personal journey, how the rain, my range of experience has, um, enabled me to have deeper compassion uh, for myself. And in turn, for others, and that's just been and and the richer kind of more more colors to paint with um, on this journey and I also agree with you about um the atomic moral dilemma, and I really like how you surfaced um that it's <laughs> it's only a dilemma if you think you're inventing something rather than sweeping the dust off of something that's eminently going to be cleaned um, which is which is actually what. I believe is is the trajectory of certainly of this technology and um, and other realms of understanding of the human experience and and the universe as we know it so totally I think you nailed that from from a place that i I agree from i I do think that other uh, other people will have different perspectives, which of course is part of what makes the complexity uh, in life interesting. <laughs> Um, I'm really interested in in how an augmented reality system or a virtual reality system shifts as we start to add more sensory input and more monitors Um, you know brainwave monitoring um, you're using currently audio as a feedback there's things like eye tracking haptics um, and this is these are broad, you know, broad categories for for people who are kind of in the, the depth of this. But what do you what do you see interfacing with your um, program specifically? Do you feel like, OK, in the next year, two years, three years, I'm just going to focus on sound? Or do you see yourself potentially integrating some brainwave state feedback um, to like help inform your your program's shifts um, in the trance state and or use it as a tool for software development like oh hey here's you know I'm I'm demoing this on somebody and they enter theta at this state or they enter alpha here or they're ooh, they're in high beta here so what do you see you know how do you see that we can start with the the brainwave state monitoring just as a particular specific but broadening it to, to other interface um, it's almost quantifiable um interface feedback that that's interesting to me what are your thoughts on it um yeah, I've a more um so
1: for me with, with my software i'm and this comes with being a video game thing you know if I were selling a therapy, my priority would be to make the most effective therapy with the most effective tools I can, and people who are looking for therapies are willing to pay a lot of money to have those therapies or there's a certain modality for getting access to those like go to a spa for a float like a float spa right so um, or you go to a uh, there are the, there are people who provide these services or something but since I'm trying to create an, a piece of entertainment software I had the limitation um, and it was a creative limitation I, I chose for myself because um It was interesting um but also because i wanted to make a game that that people could play and that wouldn't require any special hardware so i wanted to make sure that i I was using only um uh consumer hardware only things that are i don't want the first thing you know like if you are a business owner and you're creating an experience or, or you've got a spa or something and you're make an experience accessible to people and it's going to be facilitated or so on, you're willing to spend a couple days getting it right. you know. But if you are a consumer, a video game consumer, you really want it to just work. And I think this is sort of the, with with consumable technologies, um, it's so much more elegant if it just works. So my intention has been to have it just work, which means limiting myself to consumer hardware, easy consumer hardware, not requiring a whole host of different consumer hardwares, which is why, you know, I've been using the, uh, Oculus Rift or any virtual reality headset. And these things have microphones on them and you're going to be wearing headphones with them as well. You know, it's, it's not awkward. Um, as soon as I start to say, Hey, not even you have to use a, um, an EEG headset, but, Hey, you can use an EEG headset. That invites a level of, um, kind of complexity and mental engagement and planning and judging, uh, into the, pro- into the process of just getting into the experience that, that I don't want to do, that I don't want to hassle to the, the person having the experience with, you know? Like, let's say, let's say SoundSelf supports EEG, um, but doesn't require it. Um, and let's say you discovered SoundSelf. Um, you're not a therapist, you're, you're just like, I mean, you're just a person looking for something interesting um, and you found this thing. Uh, now you know it supports EEG, you're going to be asking yourself, well, if I don't have this $100, $150, $300 headset, am I having the ultimate experience with this uh, or am I having a compromised experience? Um, and if i'm having a compromised experience maybe i should just wait till later to do this and when i'm in the game I might be thinking oh geez i wonder what would this be like if i were not having a compromised experience um so i don't want any of that you know it's it's just like no you have the experience it is what it is and and if i were to support eeg or something like that i'd do it invisibly and just you know um <laughs> um which i think would be kind of funny but um
0: yeah. Um makes sense. Yeah, that, that totally makes sense. That's a sound product development roadmap. Um.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, and um, as soon as, you know, virtual reality, we're already strapping um, a, a display and a couple of lenses to people's faces and a microphone. It's, it's not going to be that expensive when the EEG technology gets cheaper. It's not going to be that expensive to slap an EEG onto that headset it's already making contact with your head um or any kg or um any number of um biofeedback uh, inputs the the and i think people i think that the the hardware developers are going to start doing that as soon as it's economically viable to do and as soon as the um stuff being made um suggests that um there is going to be consumer demand for for software that that uses um, that uses those inputs, right? Um, so, um, I think it's really interesting, and I think it's probably not that far away, you know, a few years maybe. But but it it is, I I believe, I think of it, it's outside of the scope of, of my design of what I'm doing with this. Um, it's enough for me to hear your voice and to infer your breath. Hmm. from the microphone
0: hmm. that's awesome um, have you yeah. have you explored specifically on the breath side you know using your your tool um, I don't I actually haven't used your tool yet so I don't know how it works but um, integrating the breath work more
1: hey um, sorry I'm giving my dog a walk no problem um, well the breath is pretty central to the experience as is oh, okay. Um, so, um, and, and the breath has been pretty central to my, my design of the experience from, from the get-go. Um, it's, it's just that, you know, because breath sensors are awkward, um, the way that, uh, the way that I, I get that information is inferred. It's not direct. Um, and it's not like... Medically viable data. It is design viable data. It is it is experientially viable data. So, um, um, but yeah, the breath is breath is pretty central to what I'm doing, um, and I think there's like, I mean, the breath is um, for designers. From I'm a designer, right? From a design perspective, the breath is such a rich place to design from. As you breathe in and out, there's this really powerful. Anybody who meditates knows this. It's just really powerful felt um sense of presence that we get by paying attention to our breath. And there's a really like felt connection between our breath and our emotional reality and our lived reality. Right? You can be wrapped up in something, you just slow down your breath a little bit and suddenly you're at peace again. Um so as a designer, the breath is a really, really interesting place and very rich place to design to pay attention to in design and, and to listen to in the in my players and my users
0: what uh what kind of user adoption have you had so far in beta like who what's kind of the average person who or non-average person non-average average that uses your your game
1: um i think it's mostly um uh, people who are uh, just interested in, in weird technology. We don't really advertise, you know? Um, so the people who find out about us are people who probably people who like your friends, like my friends, you know, conc- people who are interested in consciousness hacking, um, people who, uh, want to meditate, but don't necessarily have the patience to develop a practice. Um, uh, I notice it skews or it tends to skew male. Um, I think that's probably, um, probably because our focus on virtual reality and, and gaming hardware, but, um, um, yeah, I, there's this sort of section of, or this demographic, I think of people, young people, especially right now who are, um, uh, actively interested in um, changing and exploring their consciousness and, and exploring how uh, contemporary technologies can be used in their exploration. Um, that's, my, that's my audience. Those are the people who've been picking it up and exploring it. Uh, so people who do festivals, festival goers and consciousness hackers and um, techies. These are the most of the people who have been uh, buying into the
0: beta. As you were developing this, did you think to yourself, "Yeah, this is. I'm developing this because this is a tool I want. Like this is first and foremost, this is something I want to experience."
1: No, that's something that I can never have because uh, it's so. Uh, it 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 is. Uh, I think something people don't really understand about Soundself is that it is an artificial intelligence. It's an abstract artificial intelligence, and it's not a mind. It's not an artificial mind, um, but it is a in many ways, it is an artificial intelligence, and um, one of the natures of AI is that, as the creator of the AI, I can I can see past the elegance of of its presentation and into sort of the uh, the programmatic depths of it. So uh, the experience that I'm creating for people is mostly unavailable to me, um, and I didn't create it because like. <laughs> <laughs> my dog just tumbled um, the experience I'm creating is mostly you know I, I don't think I did make it because I wanted to experience something like this or this is like the ultimate thing I wanted I, I uh, am making it because I realized um, something was possible uh, that there was this avenue into oneness that uh, I'd experience, and that with my um, with my interests and with my skills and, and with my experiences, uh, I probably had a kind of a unique avenue of creating something here. And that, like, I just knew, I just knew this design would work for people. And I also knew that if I didn't make it, nobody would. So either I was going to make this thing as a gift to the world or it would never happen. Um, that's really what motivated me to do it.
0: That's an interesting uh, statement that you're, you're the artist, so you can kind of see past the infrastructure, and therefore it doesn't have the same impact that it would for someone who doesn't oh, understand yeah. the, oh, totally. the AI. Oh, um, totally. Okay, so non sequitur. Um, what kinds of books do you find yourself reading, for like, in the fiction realm, and then in the nonfiction realm? If you if you have categories. Oh that... yeah,
1: that's great. Um, I've recently. Um, just like giving in to the the truth of that I am a Game of Thrones mega fan. <laughs> um and right now I'm I'm listening to the audiobooks. Um, <laughs> um I listen to I love um Neil Stevenson. I read his book The Diamond Age recently and that just blew me away. Um nonfiction, I, I like history. I really like um There's a podcaster named Dan Carlin who has a series called Hardcore History, and I really love that. Um, I don't know if I like history or if I just like listening to people or reading people who are really interested and nerdy about what they're interested in nerdy about, and I love Dan Carlin's interest in nerdiness in history. Um, But but yeah, recently I've been drawn, like in nonfiction, I've been more drawn to history. I used to read a lot of... um, of stuff that is directly in my domain of work but now i'm sort of working that and um (laughs) i find myself more drawn to learning about things that i'm not i'm not um i'm far in domains i'm not playing in in my day-to-day
0: so in the fiction realm you'd say more science fiction fantasy yeah
1: i like fantasy a lot science Mm -hmm. fiction and fantasy Mm -hmm. um yeah those are those are really easy for me they're really easy for me. i've been kind of challenged lately to uh um, pick up um, or like um, specifically seek out authors who are uh either black authors or female authors so I can kind of um uh, i guess challenge my privilege and challenge my whiteness and my maleness and just like try to pick up a by by just reading some of those uh attitudes or experiences um that's something I'd, I'd like to do um, when i find right now like my comfort food my comfort food is fantasy and science fiction and that's that's sort of what i've been drawn to of late
0: mm-hmm. um i can relate <laughs> i can relate to that for sure um and then the history as well fascinating because history in a way is science fiction (laughs) when it's written yeah yeah it really
1: is it's such a you know it's just different worlds that people lived in and and then you read that and you see like the world you live in is just like a weird different world with really weird different ways of doing things that excuse me that you take for granted because you live it but like the society we live in is as completely weird as any society that's ever existed
0: yeah exactly and it is about the perspective shift back 30 years and it's like really 50 years what 200 years what yeah (laughs) yeah there's no normal there's no normal
1: way of being a human there's no normal way of making a culture
0: uh there's a quote that reminds me of a quote um that (laughs) um human is a foreign language and everyone mispronounces it. It's, uh, it's sort of, um, you know, it, and, it, and it is. Um, well, I think this is probably a good place for us to, to wrap. Um, thank you. Well, we hope you enjoyed that uh, episode with Robin and uh, stay tuned for future episodes, consciousfounders.org. Check back every week for a new Uh, interview, conversation, and hopefully some helpful insights. Mm, Take care. Bye.